Let's go. Okay, we are now recording live here on Martin Luther King Day uh, with your hosts of Meet, Act, and Part. I'm Greg Knott. I'm Darren Laners. And I'm Bill Hosler. Hey, welcome, everybody. This is kind of our first attempt at Meet, Act, and Part of a podcast. Uh, Darren and I are here together in central Illinois, and Bill is in the lovely state of Oklahoma on the phone. So he's dialed in. So we're learning technology. We're learning to be pro podcasters and all that. And so uh, here we are. So what we do, we'll just introduce ourselves a little bit about what we've done Masonically. So our listeners have an idea who we are. So I'll start off. I'm Greg Knott, the uh, current master of Ogden Lodge number 754, where I became a master mason in 2007. So about 12 and a half years ago. And I've been through the chairs there. I'm also a dual member at St. Joe Lodge 970, which is just down the road. And I've been master there and also a member of uh, Homer Lodge 199, which is just another five miles down the road. And then also a member of Naval Lodge Number 4 in Washington, D.C. And then a whole host of appendant bodies uh, that I'm sure we'll talk about as time goes. But also one of the uh, contributors to the Midnight Freemason blog. So that's my quick version of a Masonic story. Hi, I'm Darren Laners. Um, I'm a member of all three lodges that Greg just mentioned. I'm past master of Homer and St. Joe. Uh, also member of uh, various appendant bodies and also a contributor to the Midnight Freemasons. And I'm Bill Hostler. I was um, raised as a blind degree in 2002 in Three Rivers Lodge, number 733 in Portland, Indiana. I served that lodge as master in 2007. Um, let's see, some of the other highlights. I was a... Um, I'm a past um, excellent high priest from Fort Wayne, New York, right number, or Fort Wayne chapter number 19, and past eminent commander of Fort Wayne commandery number four. And I've served in various other, like, appendant bodies and, and done various other things. And I'm also, and myself, I'm also a um, contributing member of the um, Midnight Freemasons, also. So, why don't we talk a little bit about the Freemasons or the Midnight Freemason blog? And, uh, because all three of us, as we mentioned, are contributors. The website for that is www.midnightfreemasons.org. And you can look us up out there. And there's three articles every week that are published from ourselves or a potpourri of other contributors to the site. And they can range anything from history to current events to esoteric, philosophical, um, maybe recaps of, of degrees or things that have happened. It's really the gamut. So, and it's it's just it's been a great platform for me to kind of forces me to write, which isn't a natural thing for me. And so, it's it's really helped me stay focused on a few areas. And uh, so, what do you guys? What's been your experience with the Midnight Freemasons? What what have you gained by being one of the contributors? Uh, personally, I've gained a lot of uh, Masonic friends, I guess. Um, people that uh, have read the blog have written to me and some of them that have written to me have sent article ideas or articles and uh, are now contributors so uh, I think um, you know just the ability to know that um, we 
have a platform where people from all of Freemasons from all over the world uh, read the blog, and I've gotten emails from India, Turkey, um, Canada, you know, you name it. I've probably heard from somebody in that country. Uh, so it's, uh, I think, uh, a very good way to not only, um, you know, help the craft, but also uh, spread some of the light that uh, each of us uh, possesses. And Bill, you've been the author of the 50-Year Freemason series. Why don't you talk a little bit about that and then your experiences in general with the Midnight Freemasons? Okay, well, I surprisingly, I never really thought of myself as a writer until about, I think it was six, seven years ago, I contacted the the editor of Midnight Freemasons, Robert Johnson, for some help on a project that I was working on at the time for the um, Scottish Rite. And he says, do you ever write anything? I'm like, well, it's, you know, grocery list, you know. And he um, says, well, why don't you give it a try? I said, well, okay. And I wrote a little thing, just something came into my mind. And like three months later, I'm a regular contributor. And it, I just something I never really you know, ever thought of being, and it's really been neat because it's made me stop and think and reflect and kind of look in myself for more of the things that I never really thought about before myself and in masonry. And I've actually come to a lot of things that I would never have known about myself if I wouldn't have actually had to come up with something every month to write about. And it's been, you know, like Darren mentioned, you know, I've been, I'm contacted by people all over the world. And, you know, the majority of them, they're tickled and they, they want to talk to you and they want to give you ideas. There's always a couple of cranks, you know, which, you know, that goes with the territory. But it also allowed me to start publishing in a couple of um, actual magazines. And, you know, it, it shocks me that when people read them, but then I'll get somebody says, is it all right if we put this in our Grand Lodge magazine in India? And like. Really? <laughs> and obviously, of course, you know, and it's just, it's really, it's helped broaden my view of the uh, craft. I mean, from a, um, just something personally to something that I know hopefully helps other people and makes them think about the thing that they're going through. Yeah, that's what I find neat about it is, you know, if there's, if there's 10 authors on that page, each of us has a different way that we write, a different style, a different focus. And even those focuses individually, they change over time, I think, based on either our experiences in masonry or just life in general. I mean, <clears throat> I know I've written a couple articles just just on things that I was either frustrated with, not even at the lodge necessarily, but just in general. And it's it's a great outlet for finding meaning in the Masonic ritual or, or whatnot, but yet applying it in a way that Frankly, anybody I think can read it, whether they're a member of the Blue Lodge or not, and gain something from it. And so that's it's it's been a great experience. I I kind of fell into it like you two did. I I wrote a, a thing about the Titanic, and one of the uh, people that went down on the Titanic was a member of a lodge in Virginia. And I I had another blog I was kind of doing at the time, and I put it out there. And Todd Creason, who is the founder of the Midnight Freemason, says hey, I'm going to swap that and put it on there. Do you care? And I was like, well, no. And so that was kind of the beginning of the contributors to the Midnight Freemasons. And, of course, it's evolved to this day. And, I, Bill, I think like you mentioned, and Darren as well, the outreach that people do to us 
that says, I either want to use your article, I loved and related to your article that you wrote, thank you for writing it, how do I become a member, etc., I think shows that we're really having an impact on the craft in many ways, almost more than any other thing I do in masonry. And so I think it's been a, a powerful tool uh, to educate the, the public, our, our members, et cetera, on uh, just a whole variety of topics. So, Bill, your your 50-year member series has been pretty popular. And you've when you first started writing it, I was like, well, that's going to just be a crank series. And, well, it, it was frankly just the opposite of that. It was you've written them so they're so insightful that you have the young member and the 50-year member and they, they're sharing insights with each other as that series is, has gone back and forth. And so what, what inspired you to, to put that together? Well, you know, and, and honestly, I figured it was going, myself when I first started, I thought it was going to be like a cranky old dude, too. You know, and I, I remember like um, I, when I first got into masonry, I really loved the um, the old Tyler talks by um, Claude Claudie. And I always thought, you know, if I could write something, I would want to do something like that. And, I, well, what would I call this? Well, I think I'll call it the old past master. And then I realized that um, another brother had started writing a few things under the, that term. I'm like, well, shoot, that's all done. Well, wait a minute. A 50-year member should be able to come up with – figured out something during those years. You know, and it started out, you know, this grumpy old guy who um, – he didn't like really anything was going on in lodge, and you know, all of a sudden we got this internet thing, and my wife wanted it in the house, I didn't want it, but you know, he met the young kid who's you know kind of got spiky hair and piercings and tattoos, and he was sitting all by himself in the lodge or in the dining room, and he started talking to him and explaining the the um the things behind the internet and told him all the stuff he could find on the internet about masonry and that's how he found it and it, it's funny because these two um, eventually became friends and cohorts and i didn't realize even when i started I, one thing i've noticed is it's kind of went on its own little thing it's you know i didn't have really any real um, idea where it go but it's kind of like i decided now that it's sometimes the 50 year member teaches Pudge, the, the young guy in the series, something. And other times, Pudge teaches him something. So it's kind of like generations kind of helping each other just get through life and through masonry. And I've had so many people want me to put it in a book form. And I think eventually I'm going to. And I have an ending for it, which I won't. You'll have to buy the book to find it, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but um, see, I've learned one thing over the lifetime. But, but um, anyway, it's like it's just. It's, I like how, and I've had so many people say how happy they are as positive stuff. And I'm like, well, I guess I didn't really think of it as positive at the time. I thought it was just some old crank going to be complaining about the interwebs and young people with their tattoos and that. But it's kind of neat how it did kind of turn about. And um, and then, like, you know, Greg, what you're saying is sometimes you write something when you're, you know, you're mad about something. That's kind of what I, you know, some of the best stuff I've made is like, you know, when I get perturbed over something in Lodge or in um, on social media with masonry, you know, one of the two of them, either Pudge or um, or the 50-year member will, you know, have a bee in his bonnet about it, and the other one will talk him through it. And it kind of becomes cathartic to me so that, you know, 
it makes me feel a little better too. And so it's like, well, this kind of works out a little bit for everybody, including myself. Yeah. And Darren, you've written a lot of pieces that are, that I like because they're, there's esoteric in nature, but yet they're not so many layers deep that I can't understand them. It's, I kind of feel you're, you're taking that beginner's, somebody like me that's not studied a lot of that stuff and trying to say, look, there's some esoteric meanings to the ritual or the craft and putting those out there for, uh, for us to read and comprehend. And you've even used those as education in the lodge and they've been pretty well received. Yeah, most definitely. Um, the tricky part about esoterics is that uh, you can go really deep but, uh, you know, for the audience, I think, that reads The Midnight Freemasons, uh, I don't want to ever feel like I'm talking down to them. So I try to write in a style that um, is easy to understand and easy to convey some of these more complex themes uh, to, to a general audience. So I'm glad that uh, to hear that from you, to know that... Um, you know, I guess I'm hitting the mark on that level because sometimes I think I'll write something and think, yeah, this is going to go over everybody's head. It's way too too deep, and uh, I'm glad to, to know I'm hitting that mark. And so one of the things you've done as a, a light series is you've taken Harry Potter and, and translated some of those stories into a Masonic parallel. Why don't you talk about that? So um, there, the idea came to me, uh, I saw an interview with uh, J.K. Rowling, uh, and she mentioned that the um, symbol for, um, and I'm going to friggin' forget it right now, um, one of the symbols uh, she thinks may have come from, uh, indirectly from watching uh, movie with Sean Connery and Michael Caine, uh, The Man Who Would Be King, uh, based on a Rudyard Kipling um, story. Or, and um, so I, I kind of heard her say that, and I said, well, I wonder what else may have, you know, subconsciously slipped into her mind uh, regarding some themes that, uh, you know, maybe have uh, context within Freemasonry. So I, I took that. I've developed a presentation that I give on occasion. And uh, I have published, I think, uh, maybe the first part of that, uh, or a very brief part of that on the Midnight Freemasons. Uh, at some point I may publish all of it. I don't know. But, um, yeah, so there are different themes uh, that, you know, throughout Harry Potter, not only Harry Potter, but other movies as well that, you know, you can, you can see Masonic, uh, themes in. uh, I did one on the matrix, um, as well, which has a lot of, uh, deeper esoteric meaning that applies to Freemasonry. And I think that's really an important lesson that all the things that we talk about in Blue Lodge and the other appendant bodies, frankly, have some moral pinning of a story underlying them. And uh, that's the whole idea of masonry was to improve yourself. Take that back out into society and use it. Because if you only keep it in the lodge, then I think we've not fulfilled our full purpose of improving the man. I mean, it's one thing to go to a meeting and everything go fine. But if you can take and apply what we talk about or teach into the public, then I think 
society's better served. And I, I think that's the part that's sometimes hard to explain about what we do and about why we're different than other charitable clubs or service clubs. Even though we do a lot of charity, we do a lot of service, those are all in, to me, the vein of improving the individual. Bill, any comments on that? Yeah. Um, and honestly, I'm, I'm like you. I didn't really understand esoterics until I did become a Midnight Freemason. When when I used to say that I liked Masonic education, I I was more about the history of the craft. You know, like, well, in 1763, so-and-so did something. And I never really thought about the esoterics. But now that I've been, you know, Darren's helped me a lot. Um, you know, just reading some of the things, and I, and I realized it's it's like that many times in my personal life, I, you know, I might look at something and I can see masonry inside it and the symbolism behind it. It, it may not even tie together, but I can see how it comes, the, the two come together. You know, it's and it's just it's really neat because I know that it's kind of expanded my mind. If anything more, I, I, I to this day I'm no Albert Pike, nor will I ever be. But I think I do understand myself better through the symbolism of Freemasonry, just by living life and going to lodge and just putting the two together. And it's really helped me with my writing too. I never would have. That's where a lot of the ideas come. I mean, a lot of them just came when, in the early times when I was sitting outside with my dog at the dog park. I had plenty of time to think. I was by myself, and it was just kind of self-reflection. And it really just came about that way. And it's like, it's really amazing how it, just the thought of, every, you know, mastery every day will expand your mind and just completely make you think about everything in your life and how it works. One thing I've seen since I've been in is the transition or transformation to education being one of the key components of Lodge. And you know, I, I, I believe the Midnight Freemasons have played a role in that. Uh, certainly our editor, uh, Robert Johnson, has played a huge role with the Whence Came You podcast and the Masonic Roundtable podcast. Todd Creason, just by starting the Midnight Freemasons blog, I think they were at the beginning of something that's been... Uh, as a catalyst that's really I think we're in these early stages of transformation of what Freemasonry is going to be in the long run forever we focused on numbers and we look at the high water mark of 4 million and maybe we're down to a million members in the US and we get consumed of thinking we're failing because the numbers are going down but I actually counter argue that I think we're coming back up and a lot of that is due to younger people in the beginning, wanting education. And now I see it that it's not just the young generations that want it. I think most people that are joining are expecting it. So, Darren, one of the roles you have is for the Grand Lodge of Illinois is the Eastern Area Education Officer. Talk about some of the things that you're seeing in lodges and efforts by Grand Lodge, et cetera, in terms of uh, education efforts. Okay, first I remembered the symbol was uh, for the Deathly Hollows, and it reminded okay. her of uh, the all-seeing eye, uh, which was on, um, I think, an apron that um, Sean Connery was wearing, or actually was on. A, he had a medallion, and I think it was part of the medallion. Anyway, uh, sorry to segue. Uh, education has really I think started to catch fire in Illinois, uh, mostly due to the efforts of our state education officer, Scott Duvall. Uh, he and his board of education put together a very good program. 
uh, which is sent out monthly to all the lodges in Illinois, um, where they basically take a piece of ritual and break it down um, with some talking points and uh, points for discussion. And he gives the um, lodge education officer or master, depending on who uh, is leading that education, just enough to do the education but not uh, have it spoon-fed to them. So I think it's very open um, program, and uh, I've used it personally at Homer, uh, I think, to great success, and I, I've uh, encouraged it, used at other lodges as well. So um, I think that's really catching fire. I think, you know, having the support of the Grand Lodge and the Grand Master is, you know, paramount to the success of any educational program within any Grand Lodge. So luckily our Grand Master, Stephen Oakley, has been very supportive of Scott's efforts, and I continue to see that uh, relationship blossoming more in the future. You know, you, you talk about Homer. Uh we do two things in Homer. Of course, we have the, the Lodge, 199, which is about 160 years old. And we formed a new Royal Arts chapter about uh, five years ago. And both of them we've kind of used as test grounds for some of this educational uh, materials. And what's been interesting to me is see guys that we didn't think would ever talk about some of the subjects we brought forth, engage in the discussions, and now it's to the point where they expect it. And so... What a, a lot of times what we'll do in either the lodge or chapter meetings is put education first, actually uh, not adjourn, but, you know, take a break in the meeting, tell everybody, hey, grab a chair, and it's so we can either, if you're seeing a presentation or you're hearing the presenter, and sort of in a small roundtable fashion, uh, we'll, have, we'll have a discussion. So a topic on civility was one we've done, and so we will present some things on topics, and then... It's not the presenter that's giving all their opinion on everything. Frankly, they're trying to engage others and seeing what they've they've thought about uh, that particular topic, and it's been extremely successful. And what I, I have learned as much from hearing others as I did when I was one of the presenters, and that's to me we're hitting a home run when we're doing that. And so that's that's what uh, I think all lodges should do. So, Bill, any thoughts on on more on education? Oh, I think you guys are absolutely right. I mean, I've said for the last few years now that, you know, we had we completely boggled that um, Nicholas Cage was the never remember the name of that silly National movie. Treasure. Um, National Treasure, oh. Bill. Yeah, National Treasure. You know, we had people about seven years ago when that was coming out, they were clamoring to become Masons, and we'd. And we'd go up there. Oh, absolutely. We'll run you through. And so let's put you through a one-day class, and then you can come up here and sit and lodge and listen to us read the minutes. You can't get any better than that. You know, well, after a couple of meetings, they're gone. And that's what they were. They came. I said at that time, they said they were coming here expecting national treasure. But what they got was grumpy old men. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a good way to put it. You know, uh, Darren has Darren and I have talked about this and. He's brought up a point to me that's right, um, and others have said this. You know, you shouldn't even probably bring in a member unless the lodge is prepared beyond the degrees to get the, the educational programs going. And 
And while in the three lodges he and I are members of, we're far from perfect. I think we're at least doing some of this stuff so that the framework's being put around it. But you're right. I mean, I've often wondered, what's the point of raising somebody? They come to meetings, disappear, and then within two years, you're trying to chase them for dues, and they end up on the NPD list. And Well, and then it's con- we're on a constant cycle. We got to get members. Okay, we got the members. Now they left. We got to get more members. Well, nobody ever stops and thinks, wait. Why did they not stay? Why did the members we brought in didn't stay? Why is that? And they just say, well, we just got to get more because, well, we're, we're almost dead. You know, the first time I ever attended a Masonic function, I was just I was getting ready to put in a petition. And um, I, I went to a dinner because the lodge I was joining, they had a sister lodge in Canada. And they um, got together every year, either in Canada or in Fort Wayne. And. They put on whatever it was because that was the last year, so I never did get to see it. But one of the past masters there who was in his 80s at the time, he says, I don't know why in the bleep bleep you even want to join Mason. He's going to be dead in five years anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you know, it's like, um, well, um, you know, and so I, I ended up going through it. And I thought, well, I'll just hang out, ride it till, till it comes into the station. But, you know, I mean, that was, what, 17 years ago, and we're still going. But, you know, but it's just like we just we don't stop and think about retention. And I think that's a lot of it. But, um, you know, the, the lodge in, in Indiana, they're really starting to you know do things kind of like you guys are doing at Homer. They have a program that sadly only a few lodges are taking advantage of. It originally came from Kansas. It's called the Executive um, Committee Program. And basically they go up there and they'll have their um, business meeting like a day or two or even in a couple hours before a lodge opens. They take care of paying all the bills. They read the minutes. They, you know, argue about how many um, cases of toilet paper to buy, whatever it is. Anyone's welcome. It's just that, like, the wardens and a few other appointed people are the ones who actually do it. But anybody can come because it's not not even a title event. It's just, like, down in an office or something or in a conference room. And so when they open lodge in an actual state of meeting, they go up, they bring lodge to open, they suspend labor, and then they either have a speaker or they have a topic and everybody gets in and they discuss the topic. I mean, they don't even go up and you don't have to get up there and jump up. Worshipful master, you know, you just you get up and as men and Freemasons, they discuss it one way or the other. And then the end, you know, you learn something and eventually, you know, it'll run its course and, you know, either it'll be the, what you thought it was going to be as the topic or it's going to completely go into something else. But, you know, all the lodges that um, do this executive committee program, they don't even have um, empty seats. They have to actually sometimes add more seats to get all the people in there. So that to me says something. You know, these young millennials and Generation Z, they want to know about themselves. They're constantly searching for something in themselves, and they're either religion or masonry or whatever. They're trying to find what's going to bring them to their path. And we are in a great position to give that to them if we would just be open enough to do it and to not you know, worry about, well, you know, we have the, you know, our longtime members, you know, they like to hear them, you know, hey, we love to hear about this and we can't have high dues, you know. And it's just, it's sad because 
we're kind of flushing our own future down the toilet. I was trying to write a thing one time not long ago. It says, you know, I've met the en- enemy and it's us. You know, we're our own worst enemy. In fact, I've even said before that sometimes the anti-Masons are our best um, salespeople because they make a lodge meeting sound way more interesting than they actually are. But we just have to take advantage of this, you know, setting the standards high because that's what these people want and deliver. Yeah, Bill, that's uh, excellent points. Uh, you know, I just I think uh, the article I wrote last that was published last Wednesday uh, kind of hit to, to some of those points. And one of the point I was trying to nail home was if your lodge is dysfunctional, you can't uh, you can't have your current lodge leadership you know, be the ones to diagnose why it's dysfunctional. You have to go out and you have to talk to the guys that were, you know, showing up and aren't anymore and see, you know, what, what made you stop? You know, why aren't you coming to lodge anymore? I think, you know, we need to do more outreach to engage the members that we do have uh, that aren't maybe showing up and some of them still won't, but you know, you might get another guy or two and uh, you know, I, in that, in my mind, that's a victory. If you can, you know, tell them, Hey, you know, we really have changed. We're doing this, this, and this now, and you should come up to the lodge and see what we're all about. You know, I think uh, it's the worst thing they can say is no, or they won't show up, which, they're not showing up right now anyway. So there's nothing, there's nothing, you know, left to, to lose at that point. The only t- thing you're losing is the time to, to reach out in a phone call or, you know, a visit to the guy in five minutes, you'll basically know whether or not he's going to be able to be engaged or not. And then you, you go on your way. If uh, you think he's going to, you know, not, uh, not want to participate or, you know, I think, you can usually tell if a person is uh, just giving you the runaround. So, but it's just something that uh, we need to do, Um, you know, engage our current membership. And then for new members, absolutely provide an experience that is different. And part of that I think is minimizing the business parts of the meeting, you know, not uh, not reading minutes, but having them emailed, having the bills emailed out. So, you know, you you cut out uh, 15 minutes that reading the minutes and paying the bills or discussing the bills takes. If there's some objection, it can obviously still be raised in the lodge. But you have, uh, you know, you free up that time. You get some of those minuscule business um items out of the way and that's more time to uh, have discussion, have education. I agree with everything, what both of you have said. Uh, And I, if if Freemasonry is going to have a future, which I think it will, it is going to be because of the educational efforts, not of the business side of the fraternity. And we're not the only group that I think that suffers from this kind of a dilemma because as you both mentioned, the younger generations are expecting something different than the, the World War II generation did. You know, World War II, the guys came back in large numbers. They joined all these organizations. And out of loyalty, they went to meetings. 
And today, uh, and, and maybe the meeting had a purpose and maybe it didn't, and I think the main purpose for a lot of them was just the camaraderie with one another. And while I thoroughly enjoy that, that alone is not going to be enough to entice, regardless of age, people in this new era, here we are in the second decade of this century, that alone is not going to be enough to entice them. So there has to be a program uh, to get them there. And I think if you give them a reason to come, they'll come. But people, as they always have done, they vote with their feet. And if they don't see a, a purpose, uh, it's just easier to sit home on Netflix or Facebook and, and get out of what they want. So anyway, so I, I think, uh, you know, here in our first podcast, we have touched on the importance of education. And I'm sure we're going to extrapolate a lot more on that topic in future episodes. But, Bill, any closing words as we bring our first episode to a, to a finish? Well, I guess I first want to thank you guys for inviting me on here to begin with and being a part of this. And I'd like to, you know, if I'd like to talk to the members out there you know, who are actually Freemasons and say, you know, the only way we're going to be able to fix this is if, you know, it's not something Greg can do, not something I can do. It's something Darren can do. It's something we all have to do. If you know a brother who's totally disillusioned, go talk to him. Try to entice him to go back to Lodge. If your Lodge, you know, a bunch of old guys that doesn't want to have me, pick a time, have a book club, or pick a time at the Lodge on a non-stated meeting night and have Masonic education. Just because it's not happening within a style meeting doesn't mean you can't have it. Just And, you know, attend your Lodge meetings, as boring as they may be, but the only way we're going to get change is if we go up and we ask for you know, these things. And eventually, if when we have enough folks, we'll get what we want. I'm not saying be militant or anything, but, you know, if you, you know, find another way. If you guys want education, great. Have it amongst yourself. There's no Grand Lodge law that I know of that says, well, it has to be here and it has to be there. Become, you know, become your own teacher and you teach each other. And, but whatever you do, just don't quit. Yeah. Darren? Uh, first of all, I'll say, unlike Bill, I be, be militant, demand change. <laughs> um, well, I was trying to be good because I don't want some. I can just hear my um, dues card being ripped up by one of the three grandmasters of the jurisdictions I belong to. Well, yeah. would that uh, you know, to be to be quite honest, if that if that's what it takes to be uh, kicked out of the fraternity, then there's no hope for any of us. So, I wouldn't worry too much about that. Uh, in all honesty, though, um, you know, Bill raises a good point. I would also say if you're not getting the experience that you want and there are others in your area that aren't getting the experience that they want, think about forming your own lodge and giving yourself that experience. If you're if you are there are some, you know, lodges, Bill, where you're just going to meet that resistance and the guys aren't going to change they're going to dig their heels in and that's how it's going to be and if that's the case you know i would vote with my feet i would find some other guys and i would form something that i want to be a part of and uh you know i think a good example of that is uh, what uh they've done up north at space novum rj and and scott and some others felt that they weren't getting what they wanted out of their lodge experiences and they they formed a lodge and they they 
are still members of, I think, of other lodges, but, you know, now Space Novum is their passion project, and they're really doing some great things up there. And, uh, you know, I think that model can be followed elsewhere if you just have enough guys who are dedicated to that idea. Totally agree with both of you. And so uh, we'll draw this episode to a close. I want to thank everybody for listening to our inaugural efforts here. We're going to do this on a periodic basis. We've got a lot of topics planned, so please join us next time for another episode of Meet, Act, and Part. Thank you, brethren.